I think you would probably concur with me. Um, there are a lot of places we could be. I wouldn't have wanted to miss being here this morning. We thank our ministry of music for the blessing of the music uh, to our souls and hearts, and we thank God for the ability to, uh, to contemplate his truths uh, sung to us so wonderfully uh, and instrumentally given as well. We praise his holy name. If you'll open your copy of the scripture, Matthew chapter 13. You probably know that. <laughs> We've been in Matthew. We may, uh, the rapture comes, it may come before we get finished and uh, I'd be all for that. I'm sure you would be as well. Matthew chapter 13 beginning at verse 34. Two verses from uh, this chapter. They read as follows, All things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. I'm using as a subject for these verses, speaking in parables. The parables of Jesus explain God's saving action in the world. They are illustrations of the gospel at work among lost humanity. To believers, God's saving activity is revealed. To those who refuse Messiah, divine activity in regard to salvation is concealed. At this point in Matthew's presentation of our Lord's parables, he tells us that Jesus' parabolic teaching method was a fulfillment of Old Testament text. And we see here in this verse, verse 34, as we begin the study of the text, uh, Jesus' practice. Jesus' practice on this occasion, recorded here by Matthew, was to speak exclusively to the crowds in parables. They did not receive an explanation or an interpretation of the meaning of the parables they heard. We know that because we've studied that. Earlier in Matthew, we are given the reasons for this. As I mentioned, we studied them previously. We learn why Jesus talked to the crowd on this occasion in nothing but parables. So for a review, to kind of remind us to bring, and some of you bring you up to speed, we will look at what Jesus did when he spoke in parables. We'll see the reasons he did it. The first reason is that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, i.e. the saved, have been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And you'll recall that, and we saw it in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. The disciples were wondering, why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 10, and Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. To remind you, Jesus said to you disciples, the ones who've come into my family, uh, the ones who have entered into the kingdom, who have entered by faith through the narrow gate and walk on the narrow way, those of you who've been born again, uh, to you it has been sovereignly granted by God to know the mysteries of the kingdom. To those 
who are not on the inside, as it were, those who are outside, those who have not come to faith, those who rejected the gospel, those who said no, uh, it hasn't been revealed to them. That's the reality. The mysteries of the kingdom are for kingdom citizens. The mysteries of the kingdom, that sphere of salvation, that realm of salvation, that's what the mystery, that's what the kingdom is, is the place where um, saved people reside and live under the authority of the king, the Lord God himself. To you, people, saved people, you here in this room, if you're a child of God, it's been revealed to you. Remind us of the meaning of mysteries. We, I think it's probably good that I explain that. Some of you don't know what on earth are you talking about. You may read here in a Bible about a mystery in this text and may hear me say it. And if you don't, haven't heard the explanation, you may conclude I'm talking about Agatha Christie or somebody. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about um, here. Um, the mystery, we're, we're talking about, not talking about something as mysterious as something that cannot be understood. We're talking about something that's been kept secret by God and later revealed by him to man. The mysteries uh, that we're talking about here, and we'll look at some more here in a moment, are those things are inaccessible to human beings. Human beings could never know them if God did reveal them. And so in the parables, what our Lord is doing, he discloses the mysteries. He explains them to them. He discloses how the kingdom functions. But for Christians, beyond this, there are some other mysteries that are in the Bible, in the New Testament. They're hidden, but now they are disclosed. The mystery of Christ, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. The mystery of Christ refers to the body of Christ. And here's the mystery. Jews and Gentiles would be brought together in one body in Christ. That is, saved Jews and saved Gentiles would be united together with one another in the body of Christ, the church. This was unknown in the Old Testament. Jews and Gentiles basically had no dealings with one another. But now in the church, Jews and Gentiles are in one body. As I said a moment ago, nowhere in the Old Testament was this truth revealed. God revealed it to the church through his apostles and prophets in the church age. Now, Jews, saved Jews and saved Gentiles one in the body of Christ. This is another mystery regarding Christ and believers. And that is found in Colossians chapter 1. You might want to go there and look at what the text is teaching. Paul lays this out for us. This is New Testament reality. And Paul is telling the Colossian church about ministry and he's really defining ministry and what it's involved and let me just pick up at verse 25 just to kind of set it up uh, so you can understand what he's saying verse 25 of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit 
so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, in verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from the past age has been manifested to the saints. To whom, the saints, God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. Twice we've seen the word mystery. This mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. What this mystery is and what the Old Testament did not disclose, what God has revealed now to his church, is that Christ would live in each member of the body of Christ. He would come and take residency up in each one of us. He lives in us. Paul writes about this with respect to himself. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ lives in us. Here in the bottom of the verse, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, it says, The hope of glory. The indwelling presence of Christ in our life is our hope of glory. What does this mean? It is the guarantee that we will be glorified in eternity. It is the guarantee that we will be perfectly conformed to Jesus Christ in eternity. The fact that he lives in us right now means that our eternity is that we will be just like Christ. We will see him as he is and be made just like him. The hope of glory. No more sin. No more failings. Perfect love to God in Christ. Serving him in perfection for all eternity when we experience conformity fully to him. That's the divine plan. That was a mystery for all who come to Christ. There's the mystery of the rapture of the church. This too is revealed in the New Testament era. Nowhere was the rapture disclosed until the New Testament era. You need to go there. You need to see what's going to happen to you in the future, what God has planned for you. Did I tell you where? Why didn't y'all ask? <laughs> y'all asleep on me here this morning. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 15, chapter 51. The mystery of the rapture of the church. It's a mystery because <laughs> it was a secret until God revealed it. And this is what's going to happen. To believers. This is for believers. This is not for unbelievers. This, this text is only for those who are God's children. 1 Corinthians, let me start at verse 50. I told you 51. Can we start at 50? 
Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means we will not all die. Sleep is a euphemism for physical death. And so here the Apostle Paul in the direction of the Holy Spirit reveals in another mystery. That we will not all sleep. There is a generation of people who will never experience physical death. But we'll all be changed. How fast? In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. Don't worry about it. It's going to be so fast you're not going to have time to think about it. Somebody, oh, I don't know if I want to go through this transfer. Don't you worry about it. It's quicker than you can twinkle your eye. It's going to be all right. It is supernatural. This is the power of God who's going to instantaneously transform us, change us. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When is he going to do it? At the last trumpet. Will you say, okay, what's the last trumpet? I haven't heard the first two or three. <laughs> What's the last trumpet? You tell me about what is the last trumpet. That trumpet, the trumpet signals here the end of the church era. It means when the church age is over. When this trumpet is sounded, the church is done because it's going to be taken home to heaven. That's why the last trumpet sounds. The trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable. And those whose bodies are in the sea. Those whose bodies are in the ground. Here in this city and elsewhere. Those who are dead, who have been cremated. Their bodies. Guess what? They'll be raised imperishable. You see, we were perishable. We're perishable. You know you're perishable, don't you? Yeah, you know you are. Because you keep living, your perishability rises up and lets you know because there's a pain. And there's an ache. And there's a medicine chest. All telling you, you are perishable. I know firsthand what that's like. I got up last night and I had to limp back to bed. I said, oh my, <laughs> I'm a perishing man, perishable. We're mortal people. We're headed for the grave. And I know some of you are young here this morning. And you're uh, wonderful specimens. Because some of y'all can run and hit people and knock them into yesterday. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> so if I'm going to run behind somebody, I won't be behind somebody like him. It's <laughs> like, so you take charge. All right. But y'all are perishable too. Is that right, Ethan? But we're, and we're mortal. But we'll be changed. This is the mystery that's been disclosed. This is our future. This is what the Lord is going to do for us. When this mortal, this mortality will put on verse 53, immortality. 
That's what God has in store for us. That's our future. That's the future for all people who are children of God. It's no longer a mystery. It's out in the open. There's another mystery. It's called the mystery of godliness. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Y'all can write that down. And, and that, that text, it, it talks about the mystery of godliness and is telling us the great truth of salvation and righteousness through Christ that produces godliness in those who believe. When a person comes to faith in Christ, they will not remain the same. Being in Christ will transform you inwardly. There will be righteousness then will be exhibited in your life. Godliness. Because you're in Christ. And therefore, your life will be different than it was previously. No one knew about this in the Old Testament. This is New Testament truth. This truth for us. Now, you say, well, um, what about the parables? The church remained a mystery in the parables. In the parables of the kingdom, the church remained a mystery. But it was soon revealed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said he would build his church. The outworking of the things described in the parables is being done in the church age. When we look at these parables back in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, the parable of the tares among the wheat, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the costly peril, the parable of the dragnet. All of those parables, what they are doing, are, they're telling us what is being worked out in the church age, in this present age. The things that God is doing, his saving activity, and he uses, Jesus does, these ordinary everyday things to explain how the kingdom is functioning in the church age. And how it will function up until the rapture of the church when we're taken out of the world. This is what's going on right now in the world, in the kingdom of heaven. And if you're a Christian, you're part of it. Let me remind you, when the word of God was sown in the parable of the sower, you were the one, uh, the fourth soil, remember, it produced fruit. That was you. As you share the gospel, you're, you're sowing as well. Uh, the the uh, leaven, the, the influence of the kingdom. As we come to Christ, as, and as we are in Christ, and as we live for Christ, our influence is reaching others. That's you. That's you. 
And we'll see later on as we continue our study how you saw the kingdom as valuable and you believed. You understood it was supreme to everything. So as you look at the parables, as we study the parables, understand, it's talking about us. <laughs> talking about the church. People in the church. We know all these things. We don't know them just intellectually. We know them experientially in our life as we live for Christ. Now, I told you, and Jesus explained this in Matthew 13, 10, and 11, those two verses, why we get it. But in con concord with our Lord, what he said to his original disciples, uh, Mark states it again. Y'all going to probably go there, so I'm going to tell you. Mark chapter 4. I want to show you something. Mark chapter 4. Verse 33. Parallel account. I want to draw some truths out of at this for us. Mark chapter 4. Verses 33 and 34. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Okay, I know what you're saying. That's great. You've told us a little bit. We understand this. Believers today share the same privilege of knowing the truth. Though the Lord Jesus has ascended to heaven, his spirit indwells and illuminates us, does it not? He indwells and illuminates us. He, he lives in our hearts. All who belong to him. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27, we have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing is the person of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. He is our truth teacher. And he unfolds truth. He gives us inf insight. He gives us understanding of the word of God. And he takes us deeper and deeper and we grasp it and we grasp it because he, the author of all of this, lives in us. So we know truth. Because we're in the kingdom. We're in the church. We're saved. And he is at work. Well, there's another reason why Jesus spoke in parables, the second one. And this is kind of a review as well. Matthew chapter 13, again, verses 10 through 17, that whole passage. But we zero in on verses 12 through 17. Second reason for the parables is that he uh, conceals it from those who refuse to believe. I told you that already, right? He concealed the truth to those who in hardened rejection of Messiah and his truth experienced judicial concealment. It's a judgment by Christ. Jesus, in, in, in his ministry, he came, he preached, repent and believe the gospel. There are those who 
heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and they saw the miracles. They saw someone speak unlike anybody ever who ever spoke, speak like him. No one spoke like him. And they refused to believe. Unbelief regarding the Christ and his gospel is tantamount to calling God a liar. 1 John 5.10. People don't think about that, but whenever somebody says, no, I don't believe it, no, I don't want it, I'm not going to trust Christ, I don't buy any of that, at that point God says, you just called me a liar because I said about my son who he is and what he did, and you say, no, that's not true, I don't believe it, you're saying, God, you're a liar. It's the word of God. So what Jesus did, for those who refused to believe, he concealed the truth so they couldn't believe. It's judgment. There's an element of mercy there, though. You've got to remember, because the more you know spiritual truth, the greater the accountability. So Jesus' mercy shut off further revelation to them so they wouldn't have further accountability and punishment. That's mercy. Isn't God good? So our Lord's practice was to teach in parables. We've seen two reasons. Third one, you find in verse 35. A prediction. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and other things hidden since the foundation of the world. Prophetic fulfillment is the third reason. And the psalm in the, in the bold print there uh, is Psalm 78, verse 2. This psalm is applied to Jesus Christ. Jesus' parabolic teaching, as I've indicated, fulfills this psalm. Why? Or how so? The psalm had a historical reason and application. Asaph, who is the human penman, wrote Psalm 78. In verse 2, applied to Jesus. Therefore, this psalm is a type of Christ. A type in an, is an Old Testament person or event that has a New Testament reality or counterpart. A type also has a predictive element. So it foreshadows. It points to a person or event to come. Our persons, even. That event, a person who emerges on the stage of biblical history is the antitype. The, the person who is pointed to or foreshadowed, that counterpart, that person is the antitype. This kind of foreshadowing or pointing to a person seen and taught here even by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12. You will recall this. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Jesus is teaching. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the sea. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented of the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah, historically, yes, all of that happened. Yes, he was in that 
big sea creature that God created for that special purpose for his, his rebellious prophet, but that was a pointing to a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. It's pointing to me. Verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Guess who that something is? You got one guess. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon, all his wisdom. Oh, he was a foreshadowing uh, of a, his descendant, Jesus Christ. Who all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside in him, Colossians 2, 3. Point it to him. It's another foreshadowing. Chapter 13 again. Verses 13 and following. Down to verse 15. Down to verse 15. The Jews of Isaiah's day pointed to the Jews of Jesus' day. They're in their stubbornness to heed the prophet Isaiah pointed to the people who lived in our Lord's day who refused to heed Jesus Christ. So the foreshadowing, pointing to is the reality. And Jesus here, in speaking of uh, in parables, fulfills what was, or foreshadows what was spoken through the prophet. Look there again in verse 35, the V portion, if you will. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew, as I've stated, and I'll state it again, applies it to Christ and hear Christ's words. I will open my mouth in parables. You'll notice the pronoun my, the letter M is capitalized, signifying deity. The second line, I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. The hidden things. It's another way of saying the mysteries of the kingdom. This thing's been hidden since the beginning of creation. What this tells us, Jesus speaking in parables was not an afterthought, but prophesied in God's word centuries earlier. When he showed up there in Galilee and was teaching in these parables, uh, that had been God's plan all along. These people not believing the gospel coming from Jesus, refusing him, that was all part of God's plan all along. That was nothing that caught God by surprise. Keep that in mind. God is never caught off guard. He's not like you. Things can get by you. Things can surprise you. God is never surprised. Never. His plans do not fail. 
and they are not jeopardized by man's unbelief. Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, I'm going to share. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I say favorite because someone asked me not long ago, what are your two favorite Bible verses? And I had a bunch of them in my brain, so what I did, I picked out two that I thought were appropriate for this individual. (laughs) 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 And they are my favorites, but I just have a lot of them. Don't try to pin me down. 46.9. 46.9. Isaiah 46.9. At the bottom of verse 9, the way my Bible is structured in the verse, it would be the C portion. Look what it says. I am God, and there is no one like me. How so, God? Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done. Saying that my purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all, not some, maybe. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God will get everything he wants done. Done. There is nobody big enough to stay his hand. There are no plans of men that can undercut his purposes. For everything that God's going to accomplish, he determined in eternity past and he's going to accomplish in human history. You can go to the bank with that. That's who our God is. That's who we worship. The God who accomplishes all his good pleasure. Tell you what God is doing. He is at work saving people. He is saving people from coming eternal damnation. Delivering people from deserved wrath. He is delivering people in His mercy from what they should get, justice. He is saving people. He's doing that in the world today. The question is, are you among the saved? Or are you not? Second question is, will you turn to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, who came here for the specific purpose of dying for sinners, taking their sin on him in his body on a cross, dying and was buried, and God raised him from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. He has ascended back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, lives in all who believe in him, and he'll save you and forgive you of your sins if you will turn to him. Will you repent of your sin? Will you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him? He is available to save you if you will come. Will you come into the kingdom or will you stay outside the kingdom? 
The kingdom's going to win. It's going to win. May, may, I just, may I just borrow from, we're living in Norman. There's a stadium right over there. I didn't wake up yesterday and say, I wonder if we're going to beat Arkansas State. That was a foregone conclusion. That's just a game. The kingdom, the victory is assured because God will accomplish all his good pleasure, right? You want to be on the winning team. You can't be unless you know Christ. If you don't know him, you're on the losing side. You say, well, what difference does it make if I win or lose? Well, if you win, it's heavenly bliss. It's with Christ and God forever. The losing team, it's eternal hell in torment forever and ever. The issues are eternal. It matters which team you're on. And we invite you to come to Christ today. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the word of God and the illumination you bring to our minds and hearts to teach us your inerrant truths. Thank you for what you plan for us as believers and what you're going to accomplish in the days to come, what you've already accomplished in saving our souls. We pray for those in this room who are without Christ, that they may come to know him personally as their Savior and the Lord, denying them their sinful lives and in repentance and following Jesus Christ as Lord their life and Savior from their sin. Pray you do this for your glory and for their good. And we pray in the blessed name of Christ. Amen.